We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to Through two weeks, Josh Allen is the MVP of football. Um... You know, for a long time in Buffalo, for, for his first two years in Buffalo, he's won a lot of games, but he's wait, been Dan, kind of wait, along Dan, for wait, the Dan, ride. Wait, Dan, wait, Dan, wait, Dan, wait, Dan. Josh Allen, he's the, he's the MVP. You're not giving it to Russell Wilson right now? I, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. Yeah, I'll give it to Josh Allen. Okay, can you tell me why? So Go ahead, I'm sorry. Josh Allen, yeah. So uh, he leads the NFL in passing right now. Um, he's He's been a guy that has, for a lot of times, been – you know, part of the journey, so to speak. They've won a lot of games, but it hasn't been because of Josh. They've won their first two games because of Josh. Actually, in a group text message yesterday with Mia Kimes and Mike Golick, they go, man, Miami's going to figure out a way to win this football game. And I said, no, they won't. Josh Allen will win it in the fourth quarter. And they were like, huh? And in the fourth quarter, he was unbelievable. And just, I've kind of been on this train with him in his development. Um, He's become a quarterback that... You know, you, you, he could beat you three ways, his mind, his arms, and his legs. Listen, Russell Wilson's amazing, this and that. If you want to tell me Russell Wilson, I'll probably give you two thumbs up. But Josh Allen has the Bills at 2-0, and and it's not that Josh Allen is part of the Bills at 2-0. and Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Dan Arlovsky on the Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin show on ESPN Morning Radio. 
One of the worst radio shows in the country. Oh, it's atrocious. They've ruined my ride to work. Golik and Wingo's finished. I can't listen to this show. I can't listen to anything. Sports radio is dying. You got to get on OutKick on iHeartRadio. You know what I got to get on? You know what I got to get on? Is a planet where morning radio somehow gets orchestrated appropriately. <laughs> Folks, week two around the NFL. Plagued with injuries. Star players and starters from around the league went down in horrific fashion, reshaping the trajectories of their given teams. You've got futures were crushed, hopes were shattered. The balance of power in the NFL in some divisions was shifted. And apparently, the pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast is not immune. Chris, you look like four pounds of crap in a two pound bag. Yeah, I do. And why is that? Because I have no back. What happened? Uh, I had a game last night, and it hurt the whole game. A roller hockey game? Yep, and then I, I somehow threw all of my stuff in the trunk, and driving home, looking in my trying to look in my blind spot, not that good. So what you're telling me is you pulled a mandel bomb. Yeah, I pulled. It was go time. It was go time. Here. <laughs> pulled pulled a muscle, and I couldn't even work today. I made it to work. I couldn't tie my shoes, but I made it to work and lasted 45 minutes. Folks, Chris is currently sitting here. He he's been debating. First of all, he looks like crap. I tweeted out a picture of it at Rockpile Report. He <laughs> his typical uh, cockatiel. Uh, what do you want to call that? Your your hair your hairdo there is flat. Well, it's not. I mean, it's a different cockatiel haircut. There's no mohawk. There's no mohawk. It's just a mop of hair on top of your head. You look sad, and you're wearing an old man's sweater. The cardigan. And I'm the sure cardigan. at some point here, you're going to have to be standing behind your chair. Yeah, at some point. But I for will. right now, he's sitting with a heat pad. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile. I'm, we're the walking wounded over here. I myself tore my meniscus probably about a month and change ago. And I wish I had a good story to go along with it. I really do. But Chris, explain to the good people how I injured myself. Uh, getting up with your kid? Stepping out of a recliner with a baby. <laughs> Are, can we admit that, that, that we're old? Yeah, well that sounds worse than my injury. <laughs> My Does injury, it? yeah, my injury was done playing a sport. You were playing. Bruce Nolan and I would butt heads about whether or not this fits the definition of a sport. Yeah, it's roller hockey. It is. I a picture sport. Kramer doing karate with the children. Completely different. Oh, either way, the Rockpile Report is officially the Walking Wounded. But don't worry, because we have a robust podcast for you, including one of the most in-depth game previews we've ever done on this show, coming up with Rams Talk host Derek Ciapala as we preview week three. But Chris, before we get to that, let's bask in the warm glow of what is a 2-0 Buffalo Bills team with our week two recap. The Buffalo Bills, 31, and the Dolphins, 28. Here's my stats of the game for you. Josh Allen, 24-35, good for 68%. 417 yards. Let me say that again for the people in the back. 
417 yards from a Bills quarterback. Four touchdowns, no interceptions, a 147.0 rating. Career highs in almost every category. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 31 of 47, good for 66%, 328 yards, two touchdowns, and a 100.3 rating. The Bills offense, 531 total yards, 8.9 yards per play. Bills running backs, 18 combined touches for 93 yards, or carries, Zero touchdowns, 5.16 yards per carry, and each of them had a run of more than 14 yards. At least one. Wide receiver Stephon Diggs, 8 of 13 for 153 yards, one touchdown, along of 47, 37% of the team's total air yards. Ryan Fitzpatrick, when targeting our linebackers, 17 total attempts, one incompletion, 94% completion percentage, and one touchdown. 12 completions for double-digit yardage, one touchdown and 196 yards, five attempts in the first half, 12 in the second, and Miami Dolphins tickets for sale, 13,000. Miami Dolphins tickets sold, 11,075. That's where I want to start this conversation about what took place on Sunday, Chris. If that's not the most Miami statistic of all time, We give them a lot of shit about having Fairweather fans, about having fans that don't show up and support the team on game day. You see their, you know their fans exist because we have to hear from them on social media across the spectrum. And yet, for some reason, they're never in the stadium. So to see those numbers, friend of the show and Bill's end zone flag holder, Greg Trelone, was among the droves of Bill's fans that traveled south to watch the Bills take on the Dolphins. And if his stories and what we saw with our own two eyes during the broadcast can be trusted on this one, at least a third, if not half, of the fans in attendance were Bills fans. Think about that. They were actually allowed to have fans in the seats, and not only could they not find enough people who wanted to buy the tickets and support their team, but the ones that did... Half of them sold to away fans. On a scale of Spinal Taps, on the Spinal Tap scale, the 1 to 11, Chris, how enraged would you be to finally get to see the Bills play, show up, and realize most of the people you're sitting around don't support your team? That would be very enraging, and I don't think that that would happen here among a limited number of seats like that, but in Miami, yeah, I believe it. I mean, that's a joke. And if it were any other fan base, I would expect them to be ashamed. But let's face it. I mean, we're talking about grown adults who actively choose to wear the color teal. There's no shame to be had there. You guys suck, Dolphins. <laughs> you guys are terrible. <sighs> when it comes to breaking down the actual on-field action, one thing stood out to me, Chris. And I'm going to start, because I don't like to end on a low note. I want to start with something that bothered me from Sunday's game. Our secondary looks human. I'm not about to hit the panic button yet, but I've got to say that through two weeks, the Bills secondary has not wowed me. Outside of Trey White. Or does that include, or does that include him? <sighs> Don't get me wrong. 
I know that they're ta- there's probably people rolling their eyes right now. I know that this is a talented group of players. Is this where you walk back on his contract already? No, no God, no. <laughs> I know that this team has the talent and the coaching to be one of the NFL's best coverage units. They've proven that. We don't have... You don't have to go out and prove anything. They've done it before with the same group of guys they're trying to do it with now. And yet, in matchups against unprolific quarterbacks, our pass coverage has not been great. I mean, obviously, the eye test from Sunday gets skewed a little bit for reasons that I'm probably going to foam at the mouth about later. But after watching Fitzpatrick roll up over 300 yards through the air, despite posting the NFL's lowest time to throw of the entire week, at just like 2.17 seconds, 2.17 seconds to throw, but he threw for over 300 yards and had a 100 passer rating. Some of the takeaways, especially when you get into the, the metrics, it's not favorable. They're currently the 20th pass defense in the NFL, Chris, in terms of yardage allowed. Levi Wallace had himself an afternoon. It was one of those performances where, like, when Lane Kiffin got left behind when Alabama had their, uh, it was like a conference championship game or it was a playoff game. And Lane Kiffin, he was the Alabama offensive coordinator, and they left him at the building. Yep, I remember that. I'm shocked Levi Wallace didn't get left at the building. I'm shocked. Because he had one of those things. Chris, I would rather sit through the notebook in a foreign language than have to re-watch Levi Wallace snap for snap out of Sunday. It was ugly. But he wasn't alone. Trey White. Trey White, the cornerstone piece of this defense, was beaten a number of times in coverage for huge games where he either just seemed out of position, unable to make a play on the ball, or, like the Gesicki touchdown in the second half, just physically outmatched because of a schematic breakdown in front of him. Chris, that guy, our friend Elf talks about all the time, that guy used to dunk basketballs when he was in college as a tight end. Yeah. Against a five foot ten, five eleven cover corner, who has the advantage there? One-on-one at the mouth of a goal line? There's nothing Trey White can do. That's not his fault. But you look at that as a whole and go, what happened here? We used to not, we used to not see this. Even our safety tandem, who I think a lot of this rides on, a lot of this pass defense, and what we talk about being one of the most fluid units in the NFL, they even got beaten just by making bad reads. Bad reads or over, I almost want to say they were overconfident in their position and didn't think Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to be willing to dare them where he threw the ball. And then there's what I think is the most damning thing when I rewatched the game and poured over the numbers. The Bills made their hay last year forcing punts. Maybe not constant three and outs, but with this bend-don't-break style of play, an aggressive secondary, and a decent defensive line, you can inevitably force a team, and that's what we did. We made it our bread and butter last year. Force a team over the course of an individual drive into a difficult third down. Somebody steps up and makes a play, and you get them to kick the ball away. On Sunday against the Finns, 13 of the 28 first downs the Dolphins achieved, which is nearly half of them, came on throws from Ryan Fitzpatrick on first and 10 or second and eight or more yards to go. Especially in the second half when the Finns really teed off on us with deep slants and crossing patterns, getting guys moving laterally. And 
it kind of it held our safeties in check because they were you can't drive on a ball when everything's moving and you don't really know where the throw's coming or where it's going to go. <sighs> Bend but don't break defense. Like the thing Leslie Frazier runs doesn't work when your opponent spends that many drives going for giant chunks of real estate without even seeing a third down. <sighs> the only reason I'm not doing the Chris Farley, you know, Chris Farley at a sales pitch with the car on the desk with the lighter. Yep. From Tommy Boy. The only reason I'm not doing it right now, A, I've had time to sober up since Sunday. B, we hopefully get our starting linebackers back this weekend, which should plug some of the middle of the field where Ryan Fitzpatrick feasted on. And C, there isn't much more of an answer than that. I can't get angry. And we need to face it. There isn't a magic pill to fix what's gone wrong in our secondary for the last two weeks. There's no scheme tweak to be employed here. Our personnel are who they are. You can't really... Br- You're not going to bring in a street-free agent and expect them to start for you, are they? No. Okay. So Not we- unless they've been in your building before. And Josh Norman on the IR. Yeah, he's got, what, one more game? One more game minimum. So there's no one else coming. This is what we have. It all comes down to simple execution. Now, the the only thing that I come out of this with, again, the reason I'm not losing my shit about this, is that given McDermott's pedigree as a former DB, I'm sure those guys are going to spend all week hearing about what went wrong on Sunday and breaking down film and drilling into it. But it doesn't change the fact that if there was something I could say was disappointing about this game, that's it. That's it right there in a nutshell. And they need to address it quickly. On the flip side of the ball, there was a lot to be, there was a lot to be thrilled about. And I think one of the biggest things is that Diggs is paying dividends. Watching that game, I kept I kept going back to 2019. After our loss to the Baltimore Ravens, former NFL Films uh, employee and now film room creator and podcaster Brett Coleman, friend of the show, told us on Twitter after the Bills lost to the Ravens. I don't even think he was saying it so much as he was trying to will it into existence. That Josh Allen desperately needed an alpha wide receiver who could haul in some of the balls he was hucking around that these lesser talented wide receivers just couldn't make contested plays on. Watching what Diggs looks like here in a Bills uniform over two weeks, I can't argue with any of that. No, he's... Been amazing. His contested, he made it, what, one or two good contested catches on Sunday. He's, and plus he elevates the other guys on the receiving core. I mean, you're getting John Brown with like one, I think the touchdown pass to end the game was a nice one on one look and he just beat him clean. Well, and that's what we spent the whole offseason talking about was that the benefit of having this guy, even if he doesn't perform, is that John Brown now gets to see single coverage against the team's not number one cornerback. So when you see Diggs going up against the best DBs that the opponent has to offer and still putting out stat lines like this, that's incredibly encouraging. I mean, think about this. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Last week we talked about it. If if the Miami Dolphins had watched any film, Six of Diggs' eight catches went for first downs, and he was targeted really often on third downs when Allen needed somebody to make a play. Sunday was more of the same, and in this instance, I think it was more impressive because now you know 
The ball is going to Stephon Diggs. They're not just using him. The Buffalo Bills aren't just using Stephon Diggs as a decoy out here to free up the other wide receivers like we had kind of talked about. He's going to get the ball. He's going to get a lot of looks because he demands it, and yet nobody knows how to stop it. When I broke down some of the film, because, Chris, I don't ever want to be confused. I say that, and I cringe as I hear it come out of my mouth. I don't ever want to be accused of being one of these guys who says, well, I, I you know, I... Had to wait for the all twenty-two to come out to really know what uh, know what I saw. I know what I saw. What I saw was a dominant wide receiver, and so when I go back and I rewatch these plays, I'm just trying to either dispel or confirm what I thought I saw when the game was happening. And here's what I saw: first of all, they made a mistake by con- continuing to single him up in coverage against Noah Alphabet Soup. Their first round draft pick out of Auburn this year. Something that in our AFC's roundup podcast, we're going to have to pick uh, Elf Artiaga from three yards per carry. We're going to have to pick his brain about this because I don't understand the logic. Igbinani, I think is how you say it. Igba, Igba, Igbinani. Not going to be covering anyone like Stefan Diggs ever again after what we saw on Sunday. Diggs was almost uncoverable if they were in one-on-one coverage. Like that catch that Allen used to get 25 yards when we were stuck in the shadow of our own goalposts. Or his 49-yard catch in the second quarter. Or the touchdown catch where that DB, I don't know who it was, somehow thought he could give Diggs a step, try to shade over and protect against a small, like a dump-off pass, and then thought he could catch him. I don't know. I didn't see that. Yeah, the touchdown the, pass. There the was... rest of America did not see it unless you had to search for it afterwards because <laughs> CBS lost power to their truck. Having the game pass, folks, it's one of the greatest things ever. And then when he was double covered, he was still dangerous. The Miami safeties couldn't provide support quickly enough because even with tight windows, Diggs still found a way to come up with completions. And he even bailed out Josh Allen on what should have been an interception. Can we agree on that? That throw Josh Allen had probably about, what, nine yards, ten yards downfield. It was there, there was a DB lining that thing up for an interception all day long. I can't get a Van Noy's almost interception out of my head. And then Stephon Diggs just picks the ball almost out from in front of the DB while he's being covered from the other side and just says, nope, nope, that's mine. It, it was a thing of beauty. Something I haven't seen from a Bills wide receiver in my adult lifetime. Who's the best Bills wide receiver you've seen since you could legally buy beer? <sighs> Gotta be Donald Jones or David Nelson. <laughs> maybe maybe Naman Roosevelt. <laughs> Naman. The fact that you called him Naman. Naman. Nam Roosevelt. Nah, Rosen- nah, uh, nah, not, not my wide receiver. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Lee Evans. Lee Evans was good, but Lee Evans, was he good enough to elevate an entire passing game? Absolutely not. Uh, who else? Stevie Johnson. I mean, Diggs is the first Bills wide receiver since Stevie Johnson with back-to-back eight-catch performances. Stevie Johnson doesn't hold a candle to what Stephon Diggs is bringing to the table. Correct. And one of the things that intrigues me the most is that he's tied for 15th in the NFL in the smallest average cushion of any wide receiver. That's a stat? That's a stat. If you go to NFL Next Gen Stats. Is that, that, is that over at what, PFF? No. NFL Next Gen Stats. All right. They're NFL. their own thing. They don't they're have nothing to thing. do with PFF. 
I'll tell you what I... TFF. <laughs> 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 yeah, we don't want to go there. Those BFF. poor social media interns, they just take a beating from Bill's Mafia every Monday. But here's the thing, Chris. 15th and smallest average cushion, 5th in receptions. All of that talk of off-season chemistry building might have seemed overblown, especially to people as cynical as me. But the fact that Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs have so quickly developed chemistry, I think it's quietly one of the best stories to start the NFL season. I really do. I mean, kudos to Bean for having the stones to pull the trigger on a trade like that. Kudos to Diggs for bringing... Not just a level of talent, because we knew he was a good wide receiver, right? Yes. And then you heard all the noise starting to come from salty Vikings fans and from pundits around the league who said, well, there's talk about him being a problem. We don't know what he's going to bring to the table. You know, what have you, what have you. They even threw shade at him from a fantasy football perspective. Yeah. (laughs) They downgraded him because he was playing for the Bills. Kudos to Diggs, not just for having a superior level of talent to any wide receiver I've seen suit up for the Buffalo Bills, but for having the willingness to enforce that talent, to to take it to your opponent on a week-to-week basis, to be the guy calling for the football, talking to your quarterback, making it known that as long as you're on the football field, you are the number one wide receiver. You're the best guy in the field every single play. Yeah, I do uh, got to give credit to Brandon Bean for pulling that, that trade off because at least through two weeks, you know, uh, has any rookie wide receiver stood out to you yet across the NFL, whether it's your Ruggs, your Judy, your Justin Jefferson? Just like what Bean said, you know, it in a COVID offseason, it would have taken a lot for a rookie wide receiver to come on as a as a stud first round and you just trade you trade that pick away and you get digs who knows what the hell he's doing i genuinely hope that all of the people who criticize the trade bills fans you out there i hope you're choking on this at home i hope at some point during your sunday you know sunday watching football you're trying to hork down a meatball sandwich and you choked just a little bit just a little bit on this Stefan Diggs performance. Well, if we're talking about choking on trades, how about choking on draft picks? <laughs> Josh Allen was incredible. And kudos, if I have to give out a final one, to Josh Allen for making sure that he as a quarterback was ready to take advantage of everything Stefan Diggs is bringing to the table. And now we have to have a conversation that I'm... <sighs> is Josh Allen... An MVP caliber talent. No, I did not stutter. As you heard in the intro to tonight's show, Josh Allen is genuinely being talked about as a potential MVP candidate by members of the national media. Let's just analysts. Let's let's just take a take a second. Let that breathe. Grab a beer. I don't know. I've been I've had a lot of medicine today for my back. <laughs> Oh, this so, is the, the production value of this podcast is going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm more focused on that than beer count. So if you had a, if you drafted a high number for our beer count, I apologize for just tonight. Don't worry, I'll pick up your slack. I'll start with you, Chris. What do you think about this talk? The talk of Josh Allen inserting himself with his play the last two weeks as an MVP caliber player. 
I do think, you think it's overreaction or do you think it's warranted? I think you can warrant it. I mean, my whole thing with the Dolphins coming into the offseason was their defensive communication with all the – let's face it, they have talent on defense. But I'm not sure that it has – they have the right communication yet because of the COVID offseason. I think as the season gets on, especially in the next couple of weeks, because you know we got the Rams where they're two and zero, and then you got the Raiders, and then you got the Chiefs. If he can keep this up, this is going to go on for all season. This MVP talk, I like it. When when has this ever happened? Well, like I, I like I just like being. I like that the national media remembers that there's a football team in Buffalo. When I when I hear this, the first thing that goes through my head is who said it. Orlovsky isn't Stephen A. Skip, Stephen A. Smith. He's not Skip Bayless. He's not some other paid bloviator. He's a former NFL quarterback who's worked in the media for a while, and he's seen a lot of these types of stories. I tend to... Chris, I don't want to call it PTSD, because PTSD is a real thing. I mean, it's, people suffer from that. It's I've seen it with my own two eyes. Was it's, it PTSD? Post-traumatic sports? <sighs> In my Syndrome. case, and I guess sports disorder, that's what I have. Yeah. Because I feel like as Bills fans, our collective PTSD just honed from years of rooting for marginally talented quarterbacks with only a real, really small upshot. Yeah, your EJ Manuels, your JP Lossmans, your Kelly Holcombs, your Ty Kevin Cobbs, your Tyrod Ty 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 Taylors. Tyrod Taylor took his whole career. He has one 300-yard game and he needed overtime to do it. And the rookie that followed him threw for 311 in his very first game. It's a benchmark that Bill's quarterbacks haven't been able to hit for the better part of 20 years. I think I'm conditioned to believe that the other shoe will inevitably drop. That this absurd start that Josh Allen is on, this tear, that it's not sustainable. And that it will fold. And that we're just fooling ourselves that we could ever have something nice. Yeah. But with that said, there was some evidence from Sunday that points to the direction that it could be. First of all, there's the lack of running we saw from Josh Allen. Oh, I'm sure you love that. <laughs> I did. Because it was opportunistic. Rather than designed, he had less than he had less than five rushes since 2019. That's only happened two different times against the Baltimore Ravens, who specifically set out to keep Josh Allen in the pocket, and the Miami Dolphins. The game at home in Orchard Park, where they almost beat us. You remember that? I made a 12 year old cry, not with profanity, just because a scathing criticisms. <laughs> Scathing criticisms that were earned of Josh Allen's ability to throw the football. <sighs> I think Dayball this week, the lack of designed runs, it's almost like he's he's flexing <laughs> to tease that his rushing quarterback game plan, it not only exists, but he doesn't have to live and die by it. When you go back, Brian Baldinger, did one of Baldy's breakdowns on Josh Allen on Sunday. And it illustrates multiple instances of him using his athleticism to escape pressure. But instead of looking to run, he's finally keeping his eyes down the field. But unlike 2019, 
Because we saw that last year, he would he, he was looking to throw more often once we gave him quality targets like Cole Beasley and John Brown. Yep. But for the first time, I watched Josh Allen scramble, keep his eyes downfield, and use what I would call some of the cleanest mechanics I've seen from a Bills quarterback in a long time to throw the football. Think about the passes he executed. You jumped out of your chair at one point. Yeah, I wish I could do that now. In the bo- <laughs> no, instead uh, you're gonna put your back on a heat pad. Yeah, I'm, I'm like stand. I'm. Where did I'm, you get a heat pad? Uh, girlfriend brought it over. The uh, is that I, the one that hurt? What did you tell me before we started? Yeah, recording? Her, Yeah, she's got a kid. Her kid uh, puts his clothes on it to like Kramer and Seinfeld puts <laughs> his clothes on it to warm up. He warms up his clothes on this thing. Why, why does he just get a pizza oven? What do I know about, about cooking a shirt? shirt? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I remember jumping out, and there was even a play that Coleman, Brett Coleman, put on his Twitter where it was the the forty seven yard pass to Diggs in the fourth quarter. He literally didn't have his feet on the ground, and he threw the ball. How's that possible? Magic. The man is magic. But this is what it is. He's finally using the proper mechanics to deliver the ball with all of that arm strength. And you saw touch on those passes. You saw it. And then you watch him progress through his reads. You see the evidence that he's going through that in that regard. That he's grown. You're watching him move from target to target before spreading the ball around and utilizing every weapon on the field. Last year, one of the biggest criticisms I had of this, the makeup of this roster and the performance they had was that John Brown accounted for 19% of the team's first downs. That's bad because it makes you very easy to defend in pressure situations. The Patriots use it against us. The, the Ravens. Every playoff team we played used that against us. And he was often targeting our tight ends as a safety valve out of desperation. And we watched Knox have an up and down rookie season where he, what, I think his drop percent was, his drop percentage was 20? Sure, I don't One know. One out of five? In 2020 through two games, even with all of the yardage Allen is stacked up, our tight ends collectively have seven targets. Just four catches. Josh Allen has been making his wide receivers weapons, not just digs. He's dishing to the whole crew. And Beasley is the only one of them without a touchdown. He almost had one if he wasn't so small. He bounced off the guy. I mean, that touchdown ended up going to Reggie Gilliam. But if he, if Cole Beasley was just a little bit bigger, all of our wide receivers would have a touchdown two weeks into the season. Chris, for that reason and more, Josh Allen is this week's hero. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. Let me hit you with some statistics, Chris. Compliments of NFL next-gen stats passer rating charts. In 2018, Josh Allen was badly below average in four of the nine passing zones they grade. Deep middle, middle, short right, and middle left. His passing to the right and left were essentially average. In 2019, with an influx of offensive line and wide receiver talent, we watched him improve in every single zone except for three. Deep middle, deep short, uh, deep, deep middle, deep left, and deep right. 
And that seems to match the eye test. Last year, we watched him struggle to get over the top of defenses. It's the reason that he was so easy to defend. And it's the reason we lost. Perfect example, I can say that that's the reason we lost the Baltimore game. Yep. Do you, you think that's fair? Yep. We've watched Josh Allen become a more decisive passer on routes to Beasley and Brown, specifically in the 5 to 10 yard range from the line of scrimmage. And that improvement keyed his first playoff run. But the regression he experienced in the deep passing perspective drew criticism, and I think it lost us some key games. Not just the Baltimore game, but also our wild card matchup against Houston. There were plays down the field to be made, and he just missed them. Yeah, that pitch back to Dawson. Oh, my God. Everyone talks about ironing out your kinks in the offseason. Everyone. For fuck's sake, Jets fans thought their team was going to win 10 games because they had, quote-unquote, addressed their issues. And their head coach was saying all the right things. And look how that's working out. So there was obviously some skepticism about Josh Allen and whether or not the things his coaches and teammates were saying about his progression were simply off-season lip service. On Sunday, Josh Allen proved that it wasn't just lip service and he did it in a terrifying fashion. On deep passes, balls thrown more than 15 yards downfield through the air. Josh Allen was 12 of 14, good for 86% completion percentage with three touchdowns to three different wide receivers. Throw away every other statistic that we've talked about tonight. Forget about the defensive performance. If I told you that, Chris, that Josh Allen was 12 of 14 of 15 yards or more and had three touchdowns to three different wide receivers... You have to assume the Bills won the game, right? Yes. Whether you agree with Dan Orlovsky or not to Allen's MVP credentials, he was the MVP of this game. <laughs> and the reality is that when what Allen showed us on Sunday is the level of football this front office envisioned when they drafted him. It's what drove now Miami Dolphins employee former Dolphins podcaster, Travis Wingfield, former guest of the show, to declare Josh Allen pre-draft a potential skyline changer. I put that in quotes. In the sense that your city's skyline could be rearranged if Josh Allen makes good on the promise of his talents physically because you're going to be erecting statues and potentially new stadiums, much like Lucas Oil Field, the house that Manning built. Yeah. And this is how I, at the time, responded to that. I've been quoted as saying that if the Bills draft Josh Allen, I would grab a beer for each hand and launch myself backwards down the nearest flight of stairs. That is you. That is episode 108. For those that would love to go back and listen to that episode, we had Travis Wingfield on and we dissected uh, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen and Mason Rudolph as potential picks for the Bills. Sunday was one of those skyline-changing performances. And no, it doesn't put Josh Allen in a gold jacket, and it came against a team like the Miami Dolphins. But do we discount when Aaron Rodgers tears up the Lions? No. You can even, uh, you can even keep it relative to this year. Remember after week one, everybody was just blowing Cam Newton? 
We'll play the same defense. Yeah. And same then I get, and yeah, and I'm sure, I mean, I haven't heard much of it, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's people in the national media that are like, oh, it's, it's, it's Miami. Well, last week you were just blowing Cam for his performance. He didn't throw 400 yards. <laughs> no, he did not. What it is, Chris, is it represents an amazing step in that direction that should have every Bills fan everywhere, regardless of your level of cynicism, getting really, really excited about where this could all go. Just as soon as they, along with myself, pick themselves up from the bottom of the stairs. Oh, I really did hate that pick. Chris, I'll never forget it. Drunk. On the 16th floor, top floor balcony at a Jamaican resort. Naked. A beer in each hand. I think I'd probably had about half a bottle of white rum. My wife said the bartender gave up trying to pry it away from me and just let me have it. I was pouring my own drinks at one point. And she told me I couldn't be out on the balcony without pants. And my answer was... Pants are irrelevant. It doesn't matter anymore because Josh Allen's my quarterback. From the guy that was pro Ryan Mallett, <laughs> pro Landry Jones. If there's anything in my whole life that I've ever been happy about being wrong over, this might be number two or three with a bullet. Ugh. And that brings us to this week's zero because we have to hand out an award. And I, I swear to God... I swear to God, I wanted to give this to Levi Wallace. There was a period of time before he got hurt that I wanted to give it to Dawson Knox. But there's one person who I feel like really deserves it, and that's defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier. You folks fell on your face. You get an F- minus in my book. We won the game. Wonderful. Our defense generated three sacks. Fantastic. We also square peg round hole... Two linebackers, one of them a rookie, and the other holding a career passing yards per target allowed of 7.5. Into the middle of our nickel defense, and then stubbornly refused to move away from that as our primary deployment, as evidenced both by the tape and the fact that Teron Johnson also saw 76% of our defensive snaps. This, regardless of a few glaring items. One. Everyone knew that those two linebackers were a liability in coverage. I would trust you, Chris, with a bad back and a fishing net out there more than A.J. Klein in pass coverage. Do you remember when I got mad? I got mad. My kid was, folks, no emotional outbursts last week. I had a couple this week, Usually, mostly when my kid was taking a nap. When he wasn't in the room, old Drew was back. A.J. Klein couldn't raise his arm up past like, if you were, it's the way he raised his hand to try to swat down a pass the way you would raise your hand if you were going to try to answer a question in a college, like a college lecture hall, but you didn't really, you weren't real confident that you knew the answer. That's how AJ Klein tried to knock down that pass. I was livid. I remember yelling at you and you just looking at me like I was some kind of idiot. Because you are an idiot. The quarterback that we're playing is not a dummy. I don't know if anyone on our staff needs to be reminded of this, but he went to a college that's synonymous with people being pretty intelligent. Ivy League, I've heard. I've heard. I've it's heard an, rumors. Heard it's an Ivy League college. I, I don't even know who said it. Like, it's such an obscure thing. It's, it's definitely not been repeated millions of times. No. Three, you're playing a game against a quarterback whose physical skill set and roster construction pretty much dictates 
that the middle of the field is the area that he's going to attack most often. Four, you have the ability to play big nickel. You've routinely illustrated that you don't mind rolling it out, and then you actively choose to give these two poor two players who aren't good in coverage more than 96% of, of all snaps apiece. This game shouldn't have been nearly this close, but as you heard in the stats of the game, our fortunes in the second half took a major blow. The second Fitzpatrick realized he was just going to tee off on the middle of the field. Mike Kosicki shredded our defense. He made some amazing plays in his own right. I mean, those those one-handed catches, Chris. Yeah. The guy's an animal. But our safeties had to spend... Think about this. Our safeties had to spend extra time because Levi Wallace was just having a brutal day in coverage. Uh, Chris, the only reason Wallace isn't in this spot is because... This incredibly flawed philosophy by our defensive coordinator is what made it all possible. It was frustrating to me because on a day when our defensive line should have been able to handle, and for the most part did handle, a relatively green offensive line, you still had this as the end result. I said it before, Fitzpatrick had the lowest time to throw in the NFL on Sunday. 2.1 seconds per passing attempt. That success should allow you to dictate the pace of the game. But when you rewatch it, time and time again, players like Butler and Oliver are beating their opponents and getting pressure in the A and B gap, and that's encouraging. And yet, over and over, the Dolphins are able to exploit just the glaring weakness in our linebackers in our short coverage game and sustain their drives. Not just sustain them, but in the second half, they started ripping off chunk plays. The reason he gets a boo from me is because you knew it was coming. Or at least you should have if you do any kind of film review and study on this team and how the team is built. And yet for a team that prides itself on defensive execution, this game was about as ugly as it could have been. And it, it shouldn't have ever come down to three points. <sighs> now, I'm Chris, I think that things will get better. I do. I hope, yeah. I hope the defense gets better. I hope my back gets better. I know you're standing right now because you physically cannot sit down anymore. Look at yeah, you powering yeah. through. Up top. Cheers. Yeah. it's Love it's, of the game right here, people. For love of the game, Chris Kruger's yeah. fighting injury yeah, to you, try to stay in the pocket. Yeah, you did text me earlier today like, oh, whoa, what are we going to do? And I was like, we're fucking podcasting. This is what we're, <laughs> is what we're doing. That's what but I love about I think, you, I think tomorrow what I'm going to do is I'm going to text Reed and go, any chance I can use the facility? <laughs> uh, listen, all-world facility. That's why our team is one of the healthier ones in the NFL. Unlike this podcast and a lot of the teams across the league today. Simply put, if I'm going to put a bow on this, the Bills have to be better or at least more flexible from a schematic standpoint. Because through two weeks, I've seen too much softness and a lack of execution on that front. And there are games coming up here on the horizon that you're going to have to have your shit in order if we're going to have a shot at hanging out in them. Now, maybe this was just all smoke and mirrors to not give L.A. any tape. I'm willing to buy the idea that they played this one style of defense and didn't stay away from it because they don't want L.A. to see the games they're going to run with their safeties against this ridiculous offense that we're about to break down with Derek Ciapala. Maybe it was hubris on the staff's part, believing that they could scheme around any talent deficiency that might rear its head. I don't know, but here's what I do know. 
If Frazier or McDermott ever pull that shit again, I don't care what they get paid. You make them walk from at least the hotel to the airport. You don't leave them there, but you make them walk to the airport. I was going to say, is this the point where you would like your Seagram's? You do owe me a Seagram's. For your... Versus what you're because years of watching Bills football has indoctrinated me into the belief that I don't have a quarterback who can throw 400 yards or two touchdowns in the final frame of a, a game like that. Well, we were what well, you were expecting on Sunday was a typical 2019 Brian Daybold third quarter is where this stems from. Yes, is so I'm going to get you a Seagrams. Maybe you maybe you want your your blue your was it. What's it called? A cali- calypso? Cali- calypso cooler, yeah. yes. I'll, I will grab you that. As it takes you seven minutes to yeah. bend over to get it out of the fridge. Uh, Folks, uh, the reason I'm drinking this is because when the Bills lost the lead, I looked around the room and said, that's it. Well, we just sacrificed. Now, mind you, beer plays a role. But I looked around the room and said, we just lost the lead. We just lost the lead to the Miami Dolphins. We're, there's, there's, what are we going to do? Not shocked if we lose this football game. In fact, I was like, and then I doubled you, down after yeah. another beer and said, you know what? Yeah. Because at that point, I started stress drinking, and I was like, you know what? I wouldn't be shocked if they blow this. I, there's no way. There's no way our quarterback can overcome what's good. And then Josh Allen, as he's done to everyone, me, pro football focus, we continue to take our lumps. He brought us back. We win that football game. And I bet Chris Seagram's on it. So as I drink my Calypso Colada, I want you to give the listeners at home your final thoughts. Put a bow on this in for us. Well, I was going to just say that this Seagram's is a product of, again, similar to what I've said before about you with Epineza. You haven't seen somebody win with power. You haven't seen the Bills offense win a game when the defense is not up to par. Because I can say probably since we've had, since Doug Barone was here, all most of our wins have been because of our defense, and our offense has never been able to bail out our defense. And I think Sunday we're going to start to see that in the future when our defense does not play up to par. Our offense, I think, now can bail them out. <sighs> Chris, that's like that was like if someone took a cold shovel, yeah, that rubbed a coconut on it and hit you in the face. Well, that is why we wow. will. I will preface that, that that is your second Seagrams of the evening because when you did come over here, my uh, girlfriend was still here, and you drank one because you owe me a twelve pack for having a girlfriend. So you have you still have eleven more Not to go through. A girlfriend, but one who's willing to come over here and put up with you long enough to nurse you back to health. Yeah, I mean, you got to witness it. She likes me. God, with that stupid hair. I don't know. She, how li- this I mean, she, Folks, li- she likes you, me. She's got low standards. Any of you out there who are single and looking for dating advice, clearly just tweet at us at Rockpile Report or DM us and ask Chris how he does it because a man like this in a cardigan sweater with uh, just a mess. Do you want to know? Do you, do you want to know? I tell you right now, the one thing I did that helped me get my girlfriend. Is so you know when you go to like a website like Amazon will email you like oh what did you like how'd you like this thing that you just bought so after our first date I gave her a, like a ten questionnaire of questions about our date and things that I did <laughs> she <laughs> thought it was hilarious 
She thought it was hilarious, and only I, you lack the people skills to pull that off. Oh, it was hilarious. Oh, just, folks, for more dating tips, just yeah. DM us at Rockpile Report on Twitter. Jesus Christ! My final thoughts in the game. Anyone could have told you that the Buffalo Bills. Anyone could have told you that we would have been two and zero, and would start the season dominating two divisional opponents who don't have their stuff in order. But if you had told me that Josh Allen would be the reason, not just a contributor, but the reason that we're 2-0, I've called you a liar. If he didn't dig deep and reach this otherworldly level of performance in the second half, the story of the week would be all about how the Buffalo Bills went on the road and choked against a mediocre Miami team, painting themselves as paper tigers in the process. Thank God for Josh Allen which is a phrase I never thought I would hear coming out of my mouth. Because of him, we are now alone in first place in the AFC East. And if that isn't peak 2020, I don't know what is. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offered valid through September 30th. Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether there are corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders. They call us by name. Always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa. Everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. And that brings us to our week three preview of the LA Rams versus the Buffalo Bills. The time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, New Era Field in Orchard Park, New York. Where we still can't attend a game. (sighs) The weather's going to be rainy with a high of 73, but I don't care because I'm not going to be there. The injuries. Buffalo, looking at linebackers Matt Milano and Trey Edmonds is questionable. Tight end Dawson Knox is questionable with a concussion. L.A. Cam Akers looks to be questionable with a rib injury. Outside of that, I, 
I don't know what to say about this matchup, Chris. This is big. It's our first real test of the NFL season going up against a dynamic head coach, a prolific offense. You nervous? Not really. I think it's going to be a great game. And, you know, if we pull this out, then the national media going to get on that Bills bandwagon. As if they're not already. No, I don't think they are because we beat the Jets and the Dolphins. Well, the good thing is for an opponent that we don't really know that much about and don't get to see that often, we have a great guest lined up to help us dissect all of what's going to come on Sunday. And so with that, we'd like to introduce to the show Mr. Derek Ciapala of Rams Talk. How are you doing, sir? Oh, uh, you know, living the dream, <laughs> making things happen. <laughs> living, living the dream, making things happen, and analyzing a team that is also like our Buffalo Bills 2-0. It's the only 2-0 matchup this Sunday. I know. No, no, there's one other. There is? I thought, Monday Night Football. Kansas oh, City right. Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens. Well, I think I said Sunday. Well, and they, oh, on Sunday. And yeah. they said that there's only 11 teams, there's 11 teams that are 2 0. Yeah. Our four teams are the only ones playing. Yeah. It's going to be a good matchup. What do you think, sir? And what will obviously be like an, you know, a mediocre football weekend then because, <laughs> you know, half the league's injured already as it is, plus. You know, seven teams are off, apparently. So, No, yeah. Great. Half the league's injured. This podcast is injured. We're just all beat up over here. Everything's going to hell. <laughs> so if we're talking about, if we're, if we're trying to preview this week's matchup, I want to start on defense. That's where I want to start this because you guys have spent so much on defense between draft capital, between trades, between trying to rotate through different things. And now you've switched defensive coordinators. I'm interested to know what it is that kind of makes this side of the ball tick. Um, the hand of God. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, no, I, I don't have an answer for you, other than star power. I mean, that's really what I, I gotta say. You have Aaron Dahl up front, who is going to take two to three blockers himself. Which, by the way, should open a pass rush, but like I said, magic. Sometimes there's no magic at all. This is magic for the Bills. There's going to be no pass rush. Um, the corners at, at Jalen Ramsey and safety is pretty well stinking man right now. I mean, the secondary might might be the best in the league. And I've, it seems like every year I top the secondary. But the secondary is pretty special, I think. If John Johnson especially, because he has a, a been nicked here and there, can stay healthy. It's a pretty special secondary, but linebackers, there's plenty of fear there, and I think that's where Buffalo's going to be attacking all game. So what keeps them together right now, they're gritty. They they pressure, but not the quarterback. They, they keep pressure on the receivers. They, uh, they find ways to make stops. They will create turnovers. They're also limited. And so Buffalo can certainly have their way with them, especially with with your man, with Allen being the kind of guy you can run. He's going to cause problems there. And I'm very concerned about this game for the Rams' defense. It's not that the Rams' defense is awful. It's just basically a middling unit. And and when you're talking about these high-priced players, well, the is you don't have a whole lot of talent invested in your out in your in your linebackers right now. I mean, in terms of money, the, the money isn't there. The draft picks 
have been invested in various areas. But the money is Well, most of your off. draft picks got sent to other teams. I mean, that's been the story of the Rams Not for the last few years is that – That's the myth. That's the myth. The, the entire myth is, well, the Rams just trail their picks. No, what they do is they'll they, – they value – they value bona fide talent. You gotta think if you're gonna have three. The Bills know this better than anybody. Let's be real about this, okay? We've, we're if getting a crash gonna, course in it. Okay. If you're gonna have 32 picks in the first round, how many of those picks are gonna be busts on the average year? I'd say a, a good number of them, at least okay, 30%. So, all right. So with that in mind, and you're the Rams. You're going to trade what basically was two mid to late round first round picks for one of the best corners in the game. Are you going to take that trade? No. Well, yes. You should, you should, if if Jalen Ramsey is in the draft that year, he's a top two, top three pick. So do the math. Do, do the draft numbers. Okay. He's he, that's a, that's a trade you make. You know they that's just a trade you make. The problem with that is. When you need guys who are special athletically, they're hard to find come fourth and fifth round. And that's where, the, the, if you look on the roster, that that special athletic mix is in the linebacking core. The draft picks, listen, heading into this offseason, the Rams had an ungodly amount of their draft picks from the past three to four years still on their roster. And it's the same this year. They're now the second youngest team in the league. They are really, really good at developing players. Really good. And that's what saves them. That's what allows them to take the risks they take with these contracts. And trust me, we're all pulling our hair out here when you see three big contracts in a matter of a week, and you're like, dude, where do you get the money for this? You're just just printing money somewhere in a salary cap that's not supposed to be, shall I say, inflatable. But they always do it. They always find a way. They're one of the best teams in the league with playing with numbers, and they're showing it, and they're very good at developing. Don't underestimate that. Too many teams do that. Well, and Too many fans do that. Well, and this is where I want to pick your brain because I, I guess when I think about your defense and what they've shown this year, defensive backs. Now, you're talking about how you guys might have one of the best man coverage units from a defensive back standpoint in the league. Jalen Ramsey, the guy who told our Trey White that if he wanted to get the attention that he deserved, he'd have to leave Buffalo, which Trey didn't. He signed in his he signed his extension here that made him the highest paid cornerback for twenty four hours. <laughs> for twenty four hours until you guys bestowed that honor upon the former All Pro that you gave up all that draft capital for. But when I look back, so what I do is I take a look at the games you've played, the Eagles. The Eagles are kind of a – Carson Wentz is a dangerous quarterback, but I don't know what they are from a skill position standpoint. And I don't know that their wide receiver group really does justice what a good, fully fleshed out offense, like apparently the one that the Buffalo Bills are trotting out. I don't know what they are against that. So I go back to week one, and I look at their matchup against the Cowboys. And what I see – in their coverage numbers is concerning. I see a Jalen Ramsey, who on 11 targets gave up eight completions. I see a Troy Hill, who gave up 100% of the passes that were sent his way. Six of six for 80 yards. 
He gave up 13.3 yards per completion. So he was being targeted down the field more so than his counterpart, Jalen Ramsey. I mean, when you look at the two of them, first of all, Ramsey had a rough night. 72% completion, 25% missed tackle rate, 7.4 yards allowed per target. And there's a screen grab out there of him windmilling. Since when do since when are we actually measuring missed tackle rates for cornerbacks? I know. I know. I'm just what are you going with that? I'm trying to paint the picture of the night that Jalen Ramsey had when he had to go up against Amari Cooner. Listen, who was he who who were the receivers he was matched up against? Amari Cooper. All right. And let me say this again. What pass rush does he have? Okay. So this is going to be my question. So, so he had that night with no pass rush. Troy Hill also kind of took a beating a little bit. I mean, a little bit. The start side, starting outside cornerbacks for you guys gave up 50-plus air yards and uh, 20. Yes. But not a lot of yak, okay. which means you guys are in your wide receiver's hip pockets. You're in their hip pockets, but there's you're, catches. You're in a lot of yak because your, your linebackers aren't covering either. Go look at deep plays. Go look at the deep. When you're you're talking about if you're if you're just pulling numbers out, just straight stats like you are. Yeah. There's context to those to those stats. And that's what I want to know. What is the context to these? The context is they're not giving up anything deep. They're limiting people. If they're if they're going to completions, they're they're in those intermediate routes or short routes where you really need more help from your linebacking core, and that's the big concern. And it's not that they've been awful, by the way. The linebackers haven't been awful, but they're not athletic. They're not. Micah Kaiser's not covering anybody. Listen, you're talking to the guy who just watched his team trot out A.J. Klein. A.J. Klein and a rookie named Terrell Dodson. Two guys well, who should Well, I'm sorry about that, but nonetheless, I'm just saying, you're going to talk about the Rams here. So I feel your pain. No, no. If you're talking about linebackers who can't cover, I feel your pain because the Dolphins just took us to the woodshed in that regard, in the middle of the field, with linebackers who can't cover. So are you telling me that that's kind of the hole and that the cornerbacks are still are still top-notch and it's just that middle of the field that's kind of giving way to this? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's really that and the safeties are, are very strong. The safeties to me, Jordan Fuller from Ohio State, the Ohio State they, it's a, They're DBU. I mean, I, LSU it's churns just, out cornerbacks, but safety play. I want to hear myself to the Ohio State University. I, but I just, um, you know, I'm a, I graduated from Ohio State. I've been a long-time Ohio State nut, and I can tell you I didn't even see this coming. I He was a, the guy who was inconsistent, but if I'm thinking back now watching him play all those Ohio State games, I'm realizing, you know, that team has been absolutely loaded for the last like five, six years. Which don't get me don't get me started on that. By the way, I know you guys aren't a college football podcast, but you know, getting him into a place where he has a chance to shine. And believe it or not, with that team being as young as they are, Jordan Fuller has a chance to shine. He basically stole that starting spot from last year's second round pick. The guy who played great last year. So it's not that that Jordan Ford just kind of smacked around some some schlub. He actually came in there and smacked around and took care of business a camp where he wasn't it was doubtful he'd make the roster. And he is actually getting better every game. So you have a secondary your two standard starting corners, plus a Darius Williams, who, by the way, was undrafted. And two safeties plus one. 
all three right now are showing they can start in this league. That's a very strong secondary. But you can't make up for a rough middle field defensively. You can't. And the defensive line, there's a there's a problem there as well. In that the defensive line was supposed to be the starting three was Ashawn Robinson, Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers, rotating in would be Sebastian Joseph Day and so on and so forth. Well, Ashawn Robinson, and I still haven't figured that whole story out, is out right now. He was supposed to be their run stuffer. He was supposed to be the guy that, you know, is the anchor there and gives Donald some leeway to rush and and Brockers is more of a run stopper as well. Not he's more more of a run stopper, but he's not the run stopper. So him being out, I think, is really affecting how the Rams want to do things. But still, nonetheless, the defense is holding its own. It did hold its own against a very talented Dallas offense. And they did fine against a Philadelphia team that really should have given them problems. Philadelphia being deep at tight end, as as do they are tight end, and how they utilize those tight ends and have been for years, they really should have scorched the Rams up and down and really didn't do it. So but I there's guess, a secret weapon. Well, there and, too. and I guess this is the thing. So when you keep you because you, you keep bashing your own defensive line, one of the questions I'm I not have, really bashing them. I'm, I'm not saying they're not what they should be. You're pointing this out. Buffalo has been lucky in the sense that we face two teams with fairly pedestrian pass rushes. I mean, I don't even know if you can call what the Jets are doing right now pedestrian because that makes it sound like it actually has legs. These are more like handicapable pass rushes. But then you look at a team like the Rams. You're 11th in defensive line spending. And to your point, I listen, I Alabama fan here, Ashawn Robinson, that guy is a load. He's a guy who he'll he's not going to give you a ton in the way of pass rush, but to he'll eat bodies is what he'll do. He'll occupy space is what he'll do. And he'll make the guys around him more effective, which is why the Rams went out and got him. I think that when I look at this, I expected just based on the fact that you've got Brockers who has a, he's got a history of being a decent pass rusher. Aaron Donald is the best. I don't, don't tell me about your J.J. Watts. It's a great story. Yes, he hurt himself and he came back and beat the Bills in a playoff game. Whatever. Aaron Donald, in my mind, is the best defensive lineman in the NFL because he does everything. He pass rushes, he run protects, he runs stuffs, he does it all. He operates from any place on the line. I think the Rams are, to me, as a fan looking from the outside, the first real test the Bills have. And yet I hear you keep saying that without a pass rush, the cornerbacks are kind of on their own, what can the Bills expect to see in terms of pass rush on Sunday from this Rams defense? That silence was on purpose. (laughs) 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 Um, If I'm honest, I I think if the Rams are going to be affected, they're going to take some risks. Uh, You know, Prescott's not going to run a whole lot. Wentz isn't going to run a whole lot at this point in his career with all the injuries he's had. Josh Allen will run, and he won't just run. He'll try and truck you. The Rams don't have a whole lot of size at linebacker. They don't have a whole lot of depth at linebacker. Uh, But that tells me at this point they have to do a couple of different things than they did in the first two weeks, and that is they're going to blitz more. And they have a candidate for that. They have a guy – 
uh, we that I believe could be can make a pretty big impact, and that would be Taylor Rapp. Yes, the safety. Yep. Moving him around, he they have the ability with Rapp with Johnson to do the old Mark Barron hybrid, get him in there rushing somewhere, have him play a little bit of linebacker here and there. Not a whole lot because he's not that big, but enough to cause the Bills some problems. And that's all they need is a little bit of problems. And then that's going to free up a little bit of something for, you know, that guy by the name of Aaron Donald to do something. Yeah. I'm not the, saying. You mean the that guy, it, the man. You put some respect that, on his name. He's he's the man. He's the GOAT of defensive lineman in my lifetime. And I do want to point this out, too. You know, that's my big complaint about Michael Brockers has been the guy came as a first round pick. He was never with you as a pass rusher, but. Even as a first-round pick, I do believe that he should have become more than he w- than he is, and he's a solid guy to have in your roster. I just think he should have been more. You need a guy like Brocker to step up. You do, and he hasn't yet. I'm so I'm kind of waiting to see. Just give me a little something there from the blitz, and they'll be, they'll be all right. Leonard Floyd. On the outside, they're brought in once in a while. It can be something, and the next minute he disappears. He did that. He was all over the field in the first week. Well, did, poof, he's cast for the friendly ghost in week two. I don't know where the guy is. So <laughs> it's just well, and that scares me because we have a tight we have a tight end situation right now. Where our starting tight end, Chris, you can speak to this. Dawson Knox is the only effective pass catching tight end we have on this roster, and he did have a concussion on Sunday. So and we Sunday don't... he suffered a concussion. So right now we could be rolling in. Lee Smith. Lee Smith. Lee Smith. So the, the glorified offensive tackle Lee Smith could end up seeing a significant number of snaps simply because of if you want to run formations that involve tight ends, who are you going to put out there? Tyler Croft? The, He'll break his foot. The, the man of glass? I, he, we have tight ends who are non-existent. Right now, the only threat we have to that linebacking core of yours, if you do blitz, and Josh Allen needs a safety valve, All we have is one wide receiver, and I know for a fact that a defensive back group like yours could take that away. I know that. Any defensive coordinator with his salt could take that away. It's one of the things I'm scared about coming into this game. Now, I want to switch to the other side of the ball, offense. And I want to preface this with a little conversation. Pre-snap motion for the Rams is everything. I've done my homework on this one. Now, admittedly, I didn't get started down this road on my own. I mean, because what do I look like, Chris? A smart person? No, you are <laughs> not smart at all yeah, at any level. I look like a drunk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Derek? I appreciate you coming on the show and having the balls to the honesty. It, the, the honesty to call a spade a spade. <laughs> no, I, I have to thank Patriots fan and routine guest of our AFC's Roundup podcast. And, you know public prolific sports writer for USA Today, Mark Schofield, for the article that's going to be linked in tonight's show description, articulating what a pain in the ass McVay's system is for opposing defenses. The article is literally entitled McVay's back on his bullshit. (laughs) That's it. The thing it underscored for me and forced me to go back and look at was the fact that, well, I don't think Jared Goff, I don't think he's a world beater at quarterback. The McVay system itself is dangerous. And this aspect of it is arguably the one that the Bills need to be most concerned about 
pre-snap motion. I mean, hell, it was part of the reason that I applauded the decision to rest Milano and Edmonds last week. I didn't realize that their backups were going to be tissue paper, but I knew we were going to need a solid in the middle of the field presence if we were going to combat what McVeigh is going to throw at us. Here's how I'll lay this out. So many offenses use tight end motion and fullback motion. But it's the wide receiver motion, Chris, of this Rams offense that scares me. You watch them motion wide receivers all the way across their offensive formations pre-snap. And in the film, you can watch the effect of it. Even someone like you could sit there, or someone like me, with five beers in me. You watch the linebackers and safeties react to that pre-shift, uh, pre-snap motion, and they shift their focus and their positioning. And he catches them flat-footed every single time. And that's what makes it dangerous. is because it creates a catch-22 for the defense. Because your linebacker, your wide receiver moving across the formation has now manipulated the linebackers and safeties one-way pre-snap. They'll throw another wide receiver, usually former Buffalo Bill Robert Woods, back the other way across the formation on a shallow cross or behind the line of scrimmage itself on a small little leak route. And also, combining that with a tight end up the seam or running back out in the flat, what you've done is you've now created a no-win situation for the defense. Your safeties are going to try to pick up the tight end. Because he's got leverage on the linebackers who moved to accommodate the moving player. But if they do that, your line and your linebackers aren't athletic enough to move, what, 10 yards in space within seconds? Robert Woods or the running back is now going to slide directly into the area, an area now vacated by the safety and the linebacker. And it's a running catch opportunity by players who thrive on yards after the catch. Derek, am I wrong? Uh, yes and no. I don't think motion really is it. What I, what I would tell you this, to do is I will go to Amazon, Google Taylor Colste, K-O-L-S-T-E, okay? And there's a book there. He wrote two books. One was breaking down the 2018 Chiefs offense, and one was breaking down the the 2018 Rams offense and read that book on the Rams because what people think it's the motion, this is this, and that's all part of it. But what he has the ability to do is line up 25 plays in a row in the same formation and run 25 different plays that are executed to perfection or darn near perfection. And it doesn't matter if they're in motion. Emotion helps. Uh, but he will find a way. And it makes you wonder, okay, well, well, how the hell was that offense so bad last year? How, how did it regress in so many different ways? But when you look at the big mistake last year, it had nothing to do with McVeigh, the play caller. It had everything to do with McVeigh, the head coach, roster decision maker kind of guy. Todd, and Gur- it started with the preseason. Todd Gurley, and we're seeing it now, by the way. Todd Gurley tanked you guys and ruined the Rams' rushing attack. 
And I Todd think- really didn't do that. Todd really didn't do that. Really? Sean McVay did that. Okay. Sean McVay did that. So Sean McVay okay. did that. And I'll explain how. And I'll explain why. And so then okay. now we're Sean- watching Henderson and guys like Malcolm Brown just tee off on teams. And here's one of the things that I think is incredible. When I look at that Dallas Cowboys matchup back in week one, the way your offense, because you just hit the nail on the head, being able to operate out of similar formations, but you don't know what's coming. There's no tell. It's like if you're playing poker with somebody who has sunglasses on and they're stone face. You don't know what's coming, and so you try to guess. You'll try to cheat. You'll try to take it. It doesn't matter. They have a million options up their sleeve, and you have a guy at the at the helm who, Jared Goff, for what he is, he's a distributor of the football, and I think he does it really he does it really well in this system. Some of the numbers that jumped out to me from that Cowboys game that I think Bills fans should be aware of. They had 10 short completions within five yards or less from the line of scrimmage that produced double-digit yardage totals. Six different tight ends and wide receivers combined to make those plays. So Jared Goff can distribute the ball to anyone on this offense, and it's dangerous. Robert Woods generated 61 of his 105 yards on those short passes. And he finished the day with 87 yards after the catch. How good is Robert Woods for you guys? What does he mean to this offense? You know, it's going to be a little weird hearing this as, you know, he's a former Buffalo Bill. It's not really that Robert Woods is an all-world athlete or a guy who is your Julio Jones type receiver. Okay. What he is though is a professional. Like he will block for a running back. He will be where he's supposed to be. You never see Robert Woods miss on a block. He might every once in a while catch it behind the back because something slipped and there be you know block in the back by accident but nothing where it was nothing that's in my view a mental mistake so it's just he's a professional receiver like a true blue professional receiver and that's why in my view they they paid the money because if you're going to talk about physical skill set you're going to find plenty of receivers like him in the league but what he brings to the table is more than just a skill set he brings leadership he brings actual attention to detail and everything that he does that other people don't. Well, what I see is it, it translates into on-the-field accountability because he's the guy who, when I watch those games and when I go back and I re-watch the Rams' performances, I see Robert Woods stepping up and making these big plays. You know, they're getting chunk yardage off just what looks like, oh, hey, he just dumped it off to him. But it's the play design and the pre-snap motion and then you've got a guy like Robert Woods who's a consummate professional who steps into that role and just says, look, you're right, I'm not a Julio Jones. I'm not a Tariq Hill, but you know what I can do is I can rip off 27 yards because I'm fast, I put my foot in the dirt, and I go. And I'm physical. Oh, it's not just that, though. It's not just that. I mean, he's running the football, too. He, he's oh, involved I know. in oh, my God. Part of the offense. <laughs> and, and he's willing to do that. You know, it, being, quote, unquote, a running back – for, that's a different animal itself. You know 
you know, when you're a receiver, if you catch it in stride, there's a chance there's, you might get laid out, but usually you're not going to. No, because back, those linebackers can't getting, catch you. They can't. It's, he's, you know? he's playing a cat and mouse game with these guys, and it's incredible to watch the way this McVay offense, when it runs the way it's designed to run, the way it ran the year you guys went to the Super Bowl. I feel like I'm watching it again. And we saw it again this week against the Eagles. Higby, pair of touchdown passes inside the five-yard line where he was almost on. He was open, wide open. Robert Woods well, here's where, here's, with another rushing touchdown. Robert Woods with a rushing touchdown, which illustrates our point here, that regardless of where they are on the field, his ability to be both a receiving and rushing threat keys their ability to run just diverse option formations and then also give the defense a ton of trouble because they can conceal what it is they're doing pre-snap. But I, I want to make this clear. I want to make this very clear. And I, I want you to give me the, the time to explain a little bit. This is not the 2018 offense. Oh, no. This, this is, is not. This is this, this it, almost seems not, more dynamic. I, well, I'm going to lay this out real easy because I think too many people will see 37 points and 20 points and see some of the numbers that were put up and going, okay, you know what? Um, the Rams offense is back. It's the same old offense. No, it's not. The Rams offense is always, always built around the run. So Matt Patricia for the Lions figured them out. I was at that game, by the way. Okay. He figured out how to attack the 11 personnel that Sean McVay was running. That next week in, against the Bears, the Bears took that game plan and ratcheted it up and just, just dismantled Jared Goff. And pretty much Goff was not the same quarterback the rest of, the, of that year, even as it went to the Super Bowl. The Eagles used it against them in their meeting later in that year. And the Rams were able, with Gurley then injured, to kind of retool enough to rely on a running game, which they should have been doing all along, to get through the playoffs. But then they go and they play Belichick. And Belichick, the same Detroit Matt Patricia game plan on steroids, shuts them down. So this is a game of evolution. You have to evolve. Sean McVay comes in there 2017-2018, just shocks everybody with what he's able to do. 2019 comes in, late 2018-2019 comes in. Two things happen. A. Teams are starting to figure out 11 personnel. You have to adapt. B, when he wants to adapt, for whatever moronic reason, and I don't know if it was a McVay thing or a less sneak thing, they sat that entire offensive line for the entire preseason last year, despite the fact they had two pretty much rookies coming in the start. And both of them were injured by week, what, four? Three or four, Ooh. and they both sucked for most of it. Nope, boom, started figuring it out. Without that offensive line, and this is this is this is the big myth about last year. The big myth was Sean McVay couldn't adapt. Sean McVay wasn't adapting. It was a, it was the league's cop to Sean McVay. No, Sean McVay was adapting, but he no longer had the personnel to execute his offense the way he wanted to because they were all on the freaking IR. It's the offensive line. It's been the offensive line. If Sean McVay has an offensive line that creates push in the running game and pass blocks just enough, his offense is executable. 
what this did though, it, he did he did evolve. You're gonna see 11 personnel. You'll see 12 personnel, and all of them run with precision now. And if I'm a Bills fan, what I'm worried about is not the 2018 pass happy Rams. What I'm worried about is the 2020 Rams that will beat you by paper cut for the first 10 minutes of the game, get a big playoff of you, control the clock with more paper cuts, and then put you away. That's well, what I'd be worried about right now. Well, when we watched that happen this weekend to the Eagles, where the Eagles seemed like they were in that game, which is the reason I was watching it on my NFL Sunday ticket as we were watching the Bills game and into the day. And I just kept thinking to myself, why can't the Eagles get – like, what is it that's holding them back? I guess here's the question. This high-powered offense, how do you see – now, the Buffalo Bills should have their starting linebackers back. More athletic than what we trotted out this week because that was that was a disaster <laughs> in terms of pass coverage, in terms of run stopping ability. I mean, I guess they were questionable at best, but the, the Miami run game doesn't really have a lot of juice. What, from our perspective, how is it that you would go about trying to stop the Rams' offense, knowing what you know and having watched all these games? What is it that the Bills are going to have to execute on in order to make? A W happen. I blitz early. Uh, you know, no, Joe Nopum is going to be out. He has an injury. He might be out for a while. We're kind of waiting to see. Who is that? And Joe Nopum. He's a guard now. Okay. He got hurt. It could be a major injury. It might not be. He's out at least this week. Okay. And. You know, if you go look at film on the Rams for the first two weeks, what was big difference for them is this offensive line actually is creating push where last year's offensive line wasn't. So if I'm the Bills right now, I'm going to test that. I'm going to test David Edwards coming to replace Nopum. I'm going to push a little bit and see what we can do. You know, you, you get a little bit of pressure on Goff, and he's known to make a mistake. So get him in there, and you're keying the running backs too because, hey, with you have Daryl Henderson who had a great game, but you lost they lost Cam Akers. Cam Akers is out for a couple weeks. And Malcolm Brown has a busted pinky. So they I mean well, I mean, compared to the other teams in the league right now, they're pretty freaking healthy. But they do have some key injuries that the Bills can take advantage of, especially in the running game. The running game for the Rams is the key. Pressure and the running game. And those two go hand in hand. I would expect the Rams to come out early and try and establish the tight ends. Try and get you guys, get the linebackers focused away from the line of scrimmage, the tight ends, to alleviate that. You know, we haven't seen much in Gerald Everett yet, but Gerald Everett is special. And if he were to go play in a 49ers offense or a Chiefs offense, probably really in a Buffalo offense because, I mean, he would be a star in this league. And he was emerging a star last year and just got an injury that put Higby in the spotlight. Joe Everett is an X factor for this game, for the Bills anyways. Um, that, so if I'm the Bills right now, I'm focusing on getting 
I'm getting to Goff. I am going to test those weaknesses that are that emerge with Nopum being out. I'm going to try and wear down the running backs a bit. I'm going to I'm going to hit that every chance I get because all of a sudden those running backs are dinged up. Together, that's a three-headed monster. But if the monster's wounded, you can put them down. Well, I like the sound of that, and I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to seeing it play out on Sunday. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you this, Drew, if the Rams go in there and they control the clock like they did in the first two games, it's not going to matter about how much the Rams linebackers struggle. They're going to have the Bills on their heels the whole time. It's really the Rams' offense to me. It's the two offenses, not the defenses, that are the key to this game. The Bills' offense is the key to this game. The Rams' offense is the key to the game. Who controls the football? Strength on strength. I like the sound of that. I think that's. I think it's almost poetic in a way, because you have a guy who, a head coach who's known for his defense. You have, but has this emerging kind of guy who, whether you want to believe he's a star or not, he's thrown for seven hundred yards. He's leading the league in passing. He's setting the world on fire. He's using all the weapons at his disposal, and now he gets his first real test. And at the same time, you've Dude, got the coach who's no, I mean, kind of revolutionized offensive play calling over the last couple of years. I mean, let's I mean, let, let's call Stan Spade to be a creator of iron. I'll say this for I'll say this for your visit over on our show. But I mean, from the outside looking in, I'm waiting to see what Josh Allen does too because you you beat the Jets, the Dolphins, man. Come on. Oh, I know. I want, you know. No, my point is this is a test. This is the first real test we've had. And at the same time, you're going up against with your defense that's been sad. The the Bills defense and pass coverage hasn't been great. And you're going up against one of the architects of modern offenses that have gotten guys hired. There are people with jobs as head coaches in this league because they've had a cup of coffee with with, uh, McVay. That's it. So with that in mind, it's going to change the way. I think this game is incredibly interesting, and I can't wait to watch it play out. Derek, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and where they can find your work and what you have coming up this week? Well, you can find me at DC Paul on Twitter. You can find uh, Rams Talk at Talk Rams on Twitter, RamsTalk.net. We have um, my podcast is Rams Talk Radio. We have another one on the network called Butting Heads. And I'm also apparently the, the the one of the knuckleheads at Rams Brawl too as well. So, but I'm pretty busy with that this week. Well, you guys are on the show, and um, let's see. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, you guys are on the show. We're gonna preview the Bills. We'll be there for post game. Buddy Hens will be out this week as well. Um, it, really, just now we're kind of selling into the season. We're getting we're getting the the full episode rotation in, and hopefully providing some intelligent conversation. I mean, that's the goal. Is we want people. Being uh, especially for the Rams fans, you know, I don't know. We, we talked when I came on for you guys the stadium episode, you know, how the fan base in, in LA is, and it's a growing fan base that is growing to know the game more and growing to know the team more. And we kind of take that responsibility seriously, no, helping them be more should. educated about the team, as you should, sir. All right, you guys can go follow Derek Ciapala on Twitter at DCiapala, D C I A P A L A. Always a great guest, even though we only really get to talk to him once every four years when the Rams come around, which... We did do that fun roundtable. The fun round with uh, Dan, Sisti, Ciapala. We met a lot of cool podcasters in the process, and I loved how they all got, not upset, but they were just like, oh, we didn't realize you were bringing a hammered guy. 
Oh, yeah. I was like Barney Gumble to the rest of them trying to hang out at Moe's. What was great about it is that we did a like a preseason roundtable. Oh, and I and called for Jacksonville. You called for Jacksonville. I, I tried to like... I was like, oh, I like, I had to step in as the producer, and and I literally had to say, so you think Nate Hackett and Doug Marone are going to beat Josh McDaniels and Belichick in the title game? Just like, and you were like, and you like doubled down on it. But the the other thing that I want that I want to just point out, the last time we played the Rams, I remember we had somebody in our secondary, Nickel Roby Coleman. <laughs> Uh, he might have did something that uh, you didn't like. Oh, my God. The video. Yes, the video. The video. The is, video. That, is that still out there? It's still. I might have it in my video bank. I will have to tweet it out this weekend as we do play the Rams. But Created uh, a viral video, folks, of me. From that game was born a viral video of me ranting about the performance of our secondary and how we were letting one of the NFL's worst passing offenses carve us up. And then Roby Coleman picks sixes Case Keenum and runs it back to the house, and everyone in the room's going nuts, and I'm just sitting there with just a butthole look yeah, on my you're face. You're just eating it, eating ah. it. And so that brings us to tonight's keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. I'm feeling strong tonight, Chris. I feel ten feet tall and as strong as an ox. You're hunched <laughs> over a table. You can't stand up straight, and you're wearing a cardigan. Yeah, I love ah. it. The weather's getting colder. I, this is when I told my lady earlier today, I was like, it's getting cold weather. I bring this cardigan everywhere I go. Jesus. <laughs> Just wait. One of the keys to victory is I have to find a way to make a man out of Chris. Keys, yeah, one of the keys to victories is buy you a cardigan off Amazon. I will never wear one. Not ever. I'll see you in hell first. First order of business, you have to hide Levi Wallace. Let's face it, he took a beating last week, and I don't think a single week of watching film and a little bit of practice is going to fix that. He's going to be our number two cornerback whether you like it or not. There's no, It's not up for negotiation at this point. It's going to be on our defensive coordinator to not let what transpired last week with Miami, where they forced him into a lot of man-covered situations to happen again. I don't know what that looks like, but I know that McVeigh is smart enough that if you don't protect that guy, their offense is going to be like a shark with blood in the water, and they're going to tee off on it. The second key, John Brown versus their cornerback number two, Troy Hill. I know the whole country's out here watching to see the matchup between Diggs and Jalen Ramsey. Elite talents scrapping it out against each other play after play. That's the stuff that makes PDs over at ESPN and every other highlight factory. It makes your toes curl. But if the Bills want to win, I'd argue that this should be the game where you let John Brown pick up his old mantle of wide receiver number one and carry the load. Or at least do enough to force the Rams secondary to make adjustments. I mean, Hill's coverage numbers are on the rise, but they're not otherworldly. He was terrible in week one. He works harder than he is talented. And despite the early returns on that, the Cowboys showed that when faced with a team that has multiple threats at wide receiver, Hill's vulnerable. I think this should be the game you use Diggs' success to backdoor the Rams with Brown. And once they make adjustments and they try to say, okay, fine, if you're going to go to Brown, we're going to change our schedule. 
That's when you punish him with Stefan Diggs. Not the early and often thing with Stefan that we've seen over the last few weeks. The third key, shut down Robert Woods. Woods is second on the team in yards from scrimmage, and for good reason. I miss him as a blocker. <sighs> he does everything well. <laughs> Look at him. The man has been prolific since the moment he left Buffalo. Yeah, he did, didn't he just get an extension? Another with, four-year contract. I don't know. Do they have where is all of their money over there? <laughs> His skill set in this scheme make him the star, but a quiet star. He's used as the motion man. He's the guy who you can trust to, as a wide receiver, take a jet sweep, put his foot in the ground, and get upfield. He's also the guy who you can throw a pass to on a crossing route, a shallow one, or just an end around behind the line of scrimmage after the snap when you play action pass and dump it off to him. You know he's going to catch it every time. He's a weapon for that team. The Bills are going to have to be formulaic in how they stop him because throwing your best DB at him is what the Rams are banking on. They are banking on us putting Trey White on him and opening up Cooper Cup and opening up the rest of these guys and the rest of their offense to keying off that. I would suggest, as an idiot who's been drinking all night, that they utilize the big nickel for the first time all season. Use that extra in-the-box DB as just a spy on Woods. It sounds like a lot, but if you can erase the threat of that motion, man, within the first five yards from the line of scrimmage, you give the Bills pass rush that's been providing its opponents with league lows in time to pass a chance to work and disrupt things. And you also give the safeties enough time to come down into the box if there's no deep developing routes and there's nobody going up the seam unchecked. You give them time to react to that so that the Tyler Higbees of the world aren't crucifying you in the red zone. I think that stopping Robert Woods goes a long way towards stopping this team. Chris predictions. This is an opponent you don't see very often, and now they're coming to town with one of the most complicated offenses we've seen. Prediction. Well, I'm going to pull up the the line. I'd like to know what the line is on this game. I mean, we are at home, so I'm going to assume right now we're at at least a, we're minus two. Bills favored minus two. I'm... This is going to be a tough game because it is Tuesday. I'm going to assume that Edmonds and Milano are going to play, or at least Milano. Um, I th- I think mm, I think we're going to pull this out somehow. I'm going to, and I think it'll be relatively high scoring. I think Tyler Bass gets his first game winning field goal, 27-24 Buffalo. What say you, drunken sailor? As I sit here and I stew in my beverage and I kind of think about what I have to... I'm on pins and needles about this game, Chris. You're talking about one of the most innovative offensive attacks. The, The man is our age. The man is our age. And yet he's coaching an NFL team and we're sitting here drinking on a Tuesday night. I'd love to have his back. Not like in a fight, but his actual back. I'd love to have his workable back right now. <laughs> you just like to have the spine the of another spine. 35-year-old? Yes. yes, because mine is mine is in the gutter right now. I don't know that I... After what I've seen from this secondary, I don't know that I trust them to get their shit in order to really come into this game and make a... 
to make the dent. I, I don't. Here's what I saw, Chris. We watched as we sat there on Sunday. We watched the Eagles Rams game, and what I saw was a team in the Eagles who, albeit, didn't have. They're a little underwhelming on offense. They didn't have wide receivers. They're banged up, but. I watched that Rams offense. The Eagles had no answer. They had no answer for Tyler Higby, tight end. We might have our linebackers back. That's going to be something to watch. There's going to be matchups here I like, but ultimately as a whole, I guess it just comes down to, do you trust that this secondary can unfuck itself in the span of a week? If you do, then the Bills win this game handily. I shouldn't, yeah, I shouldn't say handily, but they win it. Because I think that we're more talented at the positions that matter. I think that Jared Goff is a paper tiger. I think he's a guy who, when you put the game on his shoulders, him him and him alone, take Goff, the scheme out of it and make him make plays. Goff is, by definition, I think, a system quarterback. Yes. So I think that if everything goes well, like what we talked about, the keys to victory— we're going to have a puncher's chance in this, or better than that. We're favored because we're the home team, but yet there's less no fans. Than we normally are, and there's yeah. no fans. There's no crowd assistance. <sighs> I I don't feel good about it, but I'm going to pick the Bills because I I'm going to pick the Bills to win by a field goal, a nail biter, a nail biter. Tyler Bass earns his stripes this week. Nails. Nails won as time expires to win the game. So just what I said. I yeah. said 27-4, Tyler Bass. Welcome to the NFL. 27-4? 27-24. Yeah. Open up your goddamn ears. <laughs> I just... I'll agree with you, Chris. We agree. So then here's the question. Who has more passing yards? We got to break this somehow. Well, it's going to be Allen. Do you know... Are you that confident? Yeah, I am. All right. I'll take that. Josh Allen, Jared Goff. So you're taking Goff on this. You're an idiot. Somebody has to prove a counter- <laughs> make a counterpoint. <laughs> Folks, give us your predictions at Rock Pile Report. Make sure you go check out our AFC's Roundup, where we're going to be talking to three different podcasters. As always, we have Mark Schofield. We have Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry. We have Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. They're going to join us to talk about everything going on in the AFC's as a whole, which the Bills currently sit on top of as the number one. It's going to be a great podcast. Today's a great day. It's just a great time to be a Bills fan. Yeah, if you're a Bills fan and you have a working back. (laughs) Folks, it's been great, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Derek C. Apollo. And this has been the Rock Pal Report. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. And don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.